people, hello and welcome to Blockchain Insider. I'm Mauricio Magaldi, Global Strategy Director for Crypto at 11FS. This is episode 181, and I'm joined by my amazing co-host Kai Sheffield, Head of Crypto at Visa. How are you doing today, Kai? I am great. I'm excited for today's episode. We're doing something a little different, and so we're uh, you got to tell us what you think about it. Uh, we're going to go really deep into one project, one company, with an amazing guest. Uh, so let's get into it. Awesome. Super. In today's Insights episode, we're doing something different. Whether or not you've been a regular series listener, you probably know just how big the potential of Web3 is, but how do we get there? To fully understand that, we need to understand where we currently are and how we got here. That's where Web 2.5 comes in. Web 2.5 is the transition step between its more famous siblings, Web 2 and Web 3. So the question we want to ask today is, why is Web 2.5 so important? This is your official welcome to Blockchain Insider's first case study. There are a handful of companies playing pivotal roles in Web 2.5, and we're lucky to be joined by one of those key players today. We'll be hearing a lot more about them in this show, but in short, Wallet Connect was created by Pedro Gomez in 2018 and has grown to become a leading wallet infrastructure in the Web3 ecosystem. Founded with the mission to connect Web3 devices, Wallet Connect establishes an end-to-end encrypted connection between a wallet and an app, enabling the wallet user to securely interact with the app and carry out transactions such as transaction signing and token authentication. Today, they're joining us on this journey of exploration into the world of Web 2.5. So welcome to the show, Will White, COO at Wallet Connect. How are you doing today? It's amazing to have you with us. Thank you very much. It's a very nice introduction. Um, it's great to see you. I'm here in New York and nice to be across London, New York and SF. Is that where you are, Kai? That's right. So yeah, um, lovely to be here. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Good, good. So before we dive in, just as a reminder to the listeners, the views or opinions of our panel are their own and don't necessarily reflect those of the companies they're representing. And as always, nothing we say should be taken as tax, financial, or legal advice. So go do your own research. So let's get started. So let's start off with some uh, 101 on Web 2.5 so we kind of get a sense of where we started. We did cover recently some parts of Web 3.0 uh, on an insight show. So if you haven't listened to that, uh, go and stop now, go back and, and then listen to that and come back here. But Will, what is your take on the current state of Web 2.5? What is the actual difference when we kind of allude to that? And, and what do we, what we have to think about when we say, well, this is not yet Web 3, it's Web 2.5? I mean, Fundamentally, I think it's a Web2 business, i.e. Non, a non-crypto native business that is choosing to embrace crypto. I mean, I think uh, absolutely baseline, that's how I think of it, right? And so I don't think those businesses setting out particularly to be Web 2.5. You're either setting out as a Web3 business or your Web2 business trying to embrace crypto. But that is, that is where I would put it. I know that sounds like a really obvious thing to say, but I think it's whether those businesses that are incumbent can, can succeed in a world where crypto uh, is, is dominant which even in a bear market, I still believe it will be. Good point there. It's starting off with uh, Web 2 and moving towards uh, Web 3 or whatever we're, we're going to call it at the end. What does that bridge look like? What does, what is, is there like a recipe for that to work? Is, we're still not there. Is, still, is this still something that is related to mostly infrastructure rather than applications or vice versa? 
What is your take on that? I mean, I always think I always think to try and compare it with what's happened before, right? So if we use two businesses that I always think are good examples of embracing new technology correctly, the classic would be Netflix, you know, send DVDs, and then one day you're using cloud technology gets to um, cloud infrastructures to such an extent that you can actually stream videos. Or, you know, bluntly, Apple is an absolute classic example, a business that I think was formed in the early 70s you know, and is now the most dominant business in the world and has managed to embrace the internet, mobile, different platforms, right? So I think there's a risk always in crypto and Web3 to think of ourselves as this sort of brand new thing that nobody's ever seen before. And it's a new way to do certain things, right? And, and, and I'm just going to qualify this whole conversation up front from a Wallet Connect perspective. My uh, past is very much in banking and fintech and payments. So I always... Uh, have a slight risk of like looking at Wallet Connect through that lens. Uh, you know, I think Web3 is, is broader because there's identity and, 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 and other areas, but that is where I'm going to look here. So, so if I look at this space, like the question comes, well, what is actually being done that's, that's novel in Web3? And how can existing businesses, you know, take advantage of that to enhance what they're doing, to enhance, uh, increase their reach, get to places that they weren't before? And you know, on the more negative side, uh, what parts of their businesses are hugely at risk if they don't embrace this stuff? It seems like it's it's almost like businesses adapting to a new consumer interact like interaction model, where you know if you are a non-internet business, you know, and the internet comes around, you have to create a website. You know, there are new ways that consumers are interacting with you on the website than they were when they were calling you. And then mobile comes around and smartphones, you have to create an app. Now there are new ways consumers can interact with you on an app than they couldn't before. And now it feels like that next step is, is really around wallets, that there are consumers who have wallets. Now, there are some today. You could argue that there will be many more over time. And so as a business, whether or not you're in financial services or social media or commerce, how do you adapt to this consumer interaction model where people show up to you with a wallet? And that seems like you know it, it's kind of small today, but all of the possibilities that that enables of different types of interactions you can have when someone brings a wallet to you, it could be as fundamental as when someone now has a mobile app, uh, when you have their location, when someone now has a website. And so it's just another evolution of those interaction models. Right. And people are turning up with a wallet in which they've got personally identifiable information. Uh, They've got a record of what they've done and they've probably got something that's worth uh, they've got an asset, right? And they're suddenly showing up and saying, I want to use this in a particular way. Uh, and I think, um, you know, the, the way, you know, I think we'll get down to this later in the show, but like, I think that there's, there's so many things going on on Web3. You, you, you kind of have to select the areas that are currently like, like really showing genuine innovation. And like some of that is like, we, we are seeing, we're seeing almost a classic example of a, of a long tail, you know, like a, there, there's a long tail of people using this stuff at the in industries that are considered maybe frontier um, and potentially in locations that I don't love the term, but, you know, the emerging end of the emerging market. So at the frontier of that. And I think that that's where you you should really be focusing on how people are using this, where this is a, a, an entry to owning your assets, owning your identity in a way that, that, that maybe we are well catered for here in the US and, and Europe. So 
that's the things that I find sort of super interesting. And I, I think that then the question comes like, what do you do as a large incumbent business? You know, do you become one of the, you know, do, do you go through the internet age and become one of the, the people who is actually still selling flights direct or do you become a travel agent and go bust, right? You know, so I think that there's a huge opportunity and there's a, a huge risk. And I think that if you're a Web2 business, you know, a successful business that has succeeded in the internet era and the mobile era, like how are you actually approaching this new space and, and, and what are the opportunities and what are the risks? You know, that's, that's what Web2.5 is. In, in that sense, Will, um, what are the, you know, a couple of things that are actually working in this current state of affairs? I mean, are there any particular uh, engineering solutions or business model solutions that are actually propelling this movement from Web 2 to Web 3 business-wise or even application-wise to the extent of user adoption? Um, how do I answer that? Because I think there's, there's, there's huge opportunities. So there's certain things that we've seen happen right now. One of them is like user engagement, right? So Twitter uh, showing people that you actually own, a, you know, you own your, your PFP, right? Like that's a user engagement tool that I think can be really valuable. I think there is the emergence of a, a whole range of businesses right now who are looking, who understand how Web2 businesses work and are trying to make it easy for them to onboard uh, customers. Um, but bluntly, there's some things that we've got to solve uh, as an industry, and they're really down at like fundamentally boring things like standards, um, you know, classifications, uh, how do we work as a as a team, like, like how does a, the industry work in a consortium? Like there are certain things that need to actually really exist right now that don't. And um, I think that, that there are people trying to build frameworks around this to make it easy for Web2 businesses to interact with it. But I also think that there's a, an element that the, the industry needs to take, um, you know, regulators seriously. Bluntly, my view, and as I say, this always comes with a qualifier that you can do a lot of things with Wallet Connect, but, but I always have this in the back of my head. You know, you, you've got to take the history of payments and finance and um, banking. You know, like we aren't the first people to think this through. So uh, kind of like what are the best practices? What are the players who understand this in this space right now? Like for me personally, there are some people, but what we've got to move away from is like some of that immaturity that existed where it was like, everything's going to get destroyed by this rather than, hey, let's be pragmatic and sensible about where the world is today. There will be new players who will succeed and existing players who will succeed. And the existing players will be enabled by people who fundamentally understand their business and the new technology. So there's kind of bridge solutions. I mean, bridge obviously has like a connotation in Web3 that I'm not specifically, but like a bridge between the two worlds. Um, and, and by the way, that bridge can be... Um, they can be new vendors or they can bluntly be people like, you know, we have met a lot of people in the industry. Um, one of them is on this call who we've always been impressed by who like fundamentally understands where web two business is moving to web three. And, and that's, um, that's a very consistent uh, experience. So sometimes it can be driven internally. Sometimes there's new people arriving to use vendors, but there's a lot of wider things we've got to solve as an industry. Got it. So I'll hand it over to you, Kai, for section number two on the, yeah, so so would love to take a step back and and start with you know what's the history of Wallet Connect? You know how did it start, and then maybe you know your journey will. You know, how did you end up joining, and kind of what what brought you to it? 
So the, the, my, my, my history, um, I'll start with that because it actually intersects with the founder of the, of the business. So um, my history with, with crypto started in 2013. I had a very regular career um, in dealing with insolvent businesses in the finance space. And I was dealing with something in the Euro- Eurozone crisis in 2012. We became fascinated by the fact that there was this thing called Bitcoin that had no central bank. I bought enough Bitcoin to probably be retired now, but I sold most of them. Um, and the reason I didn't sell all of them actually is really interestingly, uh, there were protests in um, uh, the Ukraine in, uh, I think, 2014 it was early. And there was a guy in the main square holding a QR code. Ironically, this sounds like I'm making this story up, but it's for real. And he was holding a QR code and it fascinated me so much that I could photograph the, there was so much going on that I didn't quite understand. But I was like, I'm not going to sell all of this stuff, right? And then that was a, literally that was enough of a piece for me to then go take it seriously. But by that point, I was working in normal fintech. Um, I was quite early at the Monzo um, near bank in the UK. And then I went to work for a competitor where we got a fantastic software engineer called Pedro Gomez came to work for us. And during that bull run of 2016, 17, we would there would be the smartest guys in the team. And we started to see this, like the smartest guys in teams would come up to it, come up to me on a Friday night and be like, Hey, what's, you know, what are you doing with this crypto stuff? I'm like, yeah, like I'm not, I'm not the COO on a Friday, go relax and enjoy yourself. Um, but they were all becoming deeply fascinated about this technology. And, um, you know, I'd worked at another business where some people had gone to make a DAO. So I kind of got deeper and deeper, but quite nerdy. So Pedro leaves, and he, we have a kind of shared history with some of that early crowd that came around 2017, 18, as the heat had come out of that uh, round. You know, the Uniswap, the Rainbow Guys, us, there's like a, a, an early group. And Pedro, very, very early, um, 2018 and stuff, would ring me up and he'd say, hey, how does a, a card scheme for US um, users, like I was working in a neobank, and he'd say, how does a card scheme work? And I'd say, oh, you know, like there's a, issue a bank and there's an acquiring bank and then there's messages that go between the two and they confirm how much is in it. And he said, like, I think that there's going to be the same challenge in this space. And just to qualify right now, we are not in the flow of funds. We do not have any intention to go into the flow of funds, but what he had identified, which, you know, truthfully, he would ring me every once in a while, but he, he went off and formed a foundation with this very firm view that there were going to be lots of wallets and lots of applications. Which actually in 2018, you know, we'd come off the end of the ICO boom. A lot of people were writing off the industry completely. And he had this very, very clear view that there wasn't going to be just one wallet. There were going to be multiple because there are multiple ways you want to hold your assets based on language and user experience and location and, and, and use case. And that there were going to be multiple applications. And so he spent three years running it uh, through a foundation. Anyone who could help, he would get involved. Every once in a while, he'd ring me up about boring stuff, <laughs> ops and finance. That's the, I was his guy he knew. Um, and it became pretty clear by 2021 that to actually scale this to where we wanted to, we needed to turn this into a venture-backed business. Um, we are extremely lucky to get 1KX in early at the seed level. And then by Series A at the beginning of last year, we was led by 1KX and Union Square Ventures. Um, and, uh, by that point, Pedro had rung me up and asked me to join, <laughs> which, uh, was a, was a joy. Mostly, honestly, the, one of the big turning points was we were starting to work with these really big web two businesses and what had worked maybe in the hacking space, pure, pure, 
pure play crypto hacking space, you know, suddenly there was some different requirements of some of these bigger players who wanted to use us. Um, the first people who um, used our code was, was Twitter. And they were asking broader questions. And he, that was really the, the, the reason he brought me on board. And then we've been lucky. You know, we've then, we're into the hundreds of wallets, thousands of apps, depending on how you classify them. Uh, we're now multi-chain. And I think if you want to really understand what we were trying to, what, what the business is trying to solve, I think there was a view at one point that every wallet would have to connect to every app. And that, that, that was, you know, that was the view of, of but, but if you actually think about it, like at the risk of always framing it in old school finance terms, that's the equivalent of going to buy a coffee and finding out that you've got to directly link your entire Bank of America or Chase account just to buy a coffee. Or if you don't have one of those, go back across the street to the branch, get a, bra uh, get a account, come back and buy it, which would be, you know, crazy concept if you actually think about it. Like we we are extremely used to in the non-Web3 world being able to come through um, parties that are either Visa or Plaid or any number of these people. And just to be clear, all we do is connect the wallet and apps. As I say, for people who haven't used it, can you talk about kind of what was it at the beginning? You know, how did it work? And then how does it work now as you've built this like two-sided network with wallets on one side and applications on the other, and like, what what's an example that you know someone who's never used the the product before, uh, it's easy for them to understand. Yeah, I mean, it's um, you know, going to any application, um, the wallet connect symbol will be there. There's a QR code. It's remote. You know, you're remotely connecting your wallet to the application and signing it remotely, right? Rather than directly connecting within the browser or within the application you know, you're giving someone the ability to remotely connect their wallet to the application. As simple as that. And and sign the trans, uh, tr and send the message and sign the transaction that needs to occur. Simple as that. Um, what that then led to is, is us to look at what else you could do in that, that messaging space. Um, so I think, you know, we've been pretty, pretty clear recently that we're trying to move to our, uh, we, we're moving a lot of people to our V2 and that's giving a lot more functionality um, because, well, you know, we're not, as I say, it's not about movement of value. It's about messages, right? So um, once you can do that last mile out to every wallet and every application, there's kind of a whole lot of other things that you can do, right? So it's not just, oh, I want to check what's in your wallet and use it, you know, to, uh, you know, as I say, if we're going to do Web 2.3, uh, 2.5, um, show what's on my PFP on Twitter, you know, like actually you could do any, like messages doesn't need to be just signing. It can be um, chat and auth and push, all things that we've, we've, we've actually built. And we're um, working with various teams to, to work on. When it started, like this was pre like the NFT boom. Mm -hmm. And so it was, I have a wallet. I want to connect to like an early DeFi protocol. I would assume that was the main use case. And so then... When did you start to see like you know, the the role that Wallet Connect could play with NFTs and all of these new use cases where now you're connecting your wallet to show something that you have within it? Like how have NFTs driven you know some of the growth of of the the use cases? Um, I mean we <laughs> we're kind of pragmatic and agnostic. We kind of go wherever the industry's going, right? So um, if the demand appears that you know, I want to hold my NFT in my wallet and I want to use it to do a thing on an application, then we'll enable that. If somebody wants to um, connect their wallet to enable a remittance, then we'll enable that. Like we're not 
in the business of, of choosing that. And, and, and where we want to go down the, the line is, um, you know, um, you know, one of the, the poor experiences within the NFT space was, you know, once I own that NFT, like I want to actually interact with, um, it, it's a, it's a, it's a membership of a club, right? So actually there's, we're all very used to Twilio and Intercom and all of these tools that enable you to either inform um, a customer or, or, or interact with a customer. You know, those are things that we, we need. Um, the reason that auth is relevant is because, um, you know, sign in with um, is a very common um, application in, in Web2. If you own something within your wallet, you should be uh, able to sign into an application. But we started, as you say, with there will be wallets and they will want to use mostly uh, DeFi applications. Um, can we remotely connect them? You know, it's literally, <laughs> we, we do a very simple thing, which is like literally connect wallets. But if you've built that last mile out, then you, 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 you give yourself the ability to, to enable people to build uh, an amazing number of things on top of it. And you mentioned payments as, as kind of one bucket and remittances. Are there you know, specific examples of, of apps or payment flows uh, that you've seen you know, facilitated by Wallet Connect, even though you're not moving the money? And can you explain that more of like, you know, you're a communication messaging layer, but you're not actually, you know, you're not in the funds flow you know, in a, a payment transfer. Yeah. Like, um, you know, like we're not visa. We don't, we don't come move the money and settle at the end of the day. That's not what we do. Um, but we enable your wallet to connect to the application. And so if I'm looking on a remittance basis, um, we see, as you would expect, I mean, this is an area that we're digging further and further into the data to understand, but we find really, really interesting is, um, you know, we're in, I think 190 countries we've been used in right now. And we're able to see that at that level, we are able to see that this wallet application has been used on this uh, application in this country. Um, and I think that one of the most interesting things we want to understand um, how closely we're involved in and how we can help facilitate, facilitate better is, um, you know, once the remittances get to the other end, like I think that there's a whole load of material right now about people staying within the dollar economy. And that's hugely interesting to us, right? Because if you think about us, we care about the messages, like literally somebody checking, you know, that this wallet is connected to this app. So we want to make sure that like for us, we don't, we're less involved by like the dollar value of how much has been transacted because we're not making money off that. Like that's not what we care about. So if somebody um, transacts 10 cents in a stable coin, it's, um, it's a message, same as somebody buying, you know, a $2 million picture of an ape, you know? uh, or potentially somebody sending a, a, a push notification. So I think that piece is really, really interesting, right? Like, I think, um, do we have the complete picture about how we're being used right there? No, because we get used a lot of, most of it's inbound because it's open source, right? So people come, they use us and they, applies but then what we want to figure out is like where are we seeing um the most interactions and i think that that concept of like very tight remittance corridors where people are using stable coins and then not coming out of the stable coin the other end is a hugely interesting concept um certainly to myself um and any way that we can help um speed that up and facilitate that we're gonna we're gonna explore for sure. So you mentioned it's it's open source, you know, anyone can use it. Mm -hmm. How how have you thought about some of the challenges of that of like, you know, if anyone can use it, what prevents someone from, 
you know, creating a malicious website that pretends to be, you know, uh, related to Bored Ape and then someone connects their wallet and then they drain, you know, the funds there. And as you start to work with enterprises, you know, you mentioned, you know, Twitter and I think mm. Instagram is, is the other one. You know, how do you see the product evolving? You know, do they want any wallet connecting to them? Do they want a subset of wallets? Like, where do you see this, this going, kind of balancing the open source permissionless uh, benefits with now it's not just in the crypto world, it's mainstream consumers in some of the largest social platforms on the planet. Yeah, this is where I think um, this is a topic on which I, I definitely focus a lot, which is kind of like how do we um, – there's, there's certain things that are just like standard, like technical standards, like that we need to make, make sure that everything works across uh, like wallets, across chains. Like we've been definitely looking to make that chain agnostic. One of the concepts that I think is um, seems pretty clear to me in terms of where the space is going is um, as you bring these big brands on, like there's no question that the, the early stuff is around consumer uh, interaction, right? These these big incumbent brands want to understand how they can get their consumers to use it more. But pretty quickly you start to get a conversation where they're basically asking a very fair question, which is, hey, could if I've connected to these wallets and to my application, you know, could I, could we enable the movement of value? And at that point, correctly, people want to know, you know, are these wallets what we want to work with? You know, like, and that's a very fair question because in the Web2 world, this is so obvious that actually we, we just accept it, right? Which is the reason that, um, you know, Visa issues cards to Chase and to, um, Bank of America and to any bank rather than Walgreens or something issuing a card. Because even if Walgreens has got a card, which I'm sure they do, I'm sure they have a Visa card, on the back it'll say issued by a bank, right? And the point is that, 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 that what you've got is you've got a classification. And that classification is like, hey, the OCC or a local regulator has said that these people can do uh, a thing, which is look after people's PII, prevent financial crime to the, to the extent that is required by the law, and treat customers fairly. Like those are the three buckets on which a, a bank typically um, is required to operate. And once it has that classification, then any number of people can work with that business rather than a business that doesn't have that classification, right? Which I know sounds like I'm explaining banking at a very rudimentary level, but you know, unless you have a banking classification, uh, so a charter or a license, or you have a payment license that is, allows you to issue uh, visa cards like you know like you can't do this stuff so i think but then equally there are payment interactions that you may want to do where um you know if you stayed completely within just the physical cash economy that is entirely possible but you may not be able to pay your rent every month by ach or wire like or by pull you know you can't you can't do any of these things because you can only pay in cash but there may be completely legitimate reasons why somebody wants to do that that aren't by default wrong, right? So I think that what you need almost is, this is just something I've played around with a couple of people, it's like almost like a, a classification because then the market will decide. So if I'm a huge FTSE 100 or Fortune 500 business and I see a real value in interacting with a wallet because it either increases my customer engagement or potentially I wanna involve in the movement of value, I may only want classification A wallets. But at the bottom, there may be classification A to E, 
But just because you're E should not be default that you are bad, right? Like there is, just to be clear, in the, in the existing world, just because you choose to interact in cash, you should not be viewed as criminal by default. And that is the same thing that needs to occur here. There are legitimate reasons why people maybe super want extreme privacy preserving, but they probably won't be able to interact with a Fortune 500 business, right? Like, do you see what I mean? Like, and that is, so, you know what I mean? Like, if I'm a protester against, um, you know, a dictatorship around the world, I may have a reason to want to interact like that. And, and, and bluntly, I think that we should export American values like that around the world, you know, in the same way that I'm pro the stable coins exporting the economy. Like, I do think that that should occur. But with that wallet, you aren't, if you have an e-classification wallet, say you can't probably deal with a with a, an app that is only going to accept A-grade wallets, which, by the way, is not a thing that Wallet Connect want, does not want to create these classifications. We do not want to be the, uh, we do not, we are not, we have zero interest in being that, that arbitrary. We, we have to remain agnostic and, you know, pragmatic as a business, but we as an industry have to come together and work effectively with regulators around the world. And one of the reasons, and then I'll stop my, my huge follow, but one of the reasons that I do think that we need to think about this is there are some really interesting interactions right now where regulators are coming together. But the truth is you do need to take DC, you know, uh, Brussels, London, New Delhi, um, Singapore, probably those regulators really get copied around the world. You need to take them seriously individually, but this is a global industry already right now. So we kind of have got to figure out the, the technical standards, the compliance standards, and potentially the classifications um, in some kind of a industry-wide way that we can then maturely take back to regulators who will accept it. Yeah, it's super interesting that just as the barrier to entry for building a wallet is super low, you're going to have hundreds of wallets across the world that take very different approaches to security and compliance. And so enabling some level of you know, governance of how an enterprise can choose which ones they interact with. Uh, so there are a lot of things to, to think through there. Yeah. Quick break now and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Visa, one of the world's leaders in digital payments. Crypto has opened up a new world of possibilities and Visa's helping everyone take part. Consumers can now enjoy the freedom and flexibility of using their Visa crypto link cards for everyday purchases at millions of visa-accepting merchant locations around the world. Join us in this new money movement. Learn more at visa.com forward slash crypto. Hello and welcome LFG people to Fintech Insider. Blockchain Insider. 11FS Spotlight. 11FS Explores. Open mic night. After dark. Through our podcasts, videos, newsletters, and live events, we have a direct line to a truly global fintech community. So if you're looking to sponsor and collaborate on content that connects with everybody from fintech beginners to the biggest VCs, then chat to our team at sponsors at 11fs.com or visit 11fs.com to find out more. Long live the community. So welcome back. Now that we've covered our grounds with Web 2.5 one-on-one and took a deeper dive into the history of Wallet Connect and their work, we'll take a look at the bigger picture, the impact that Wallet Connect has had so far and how we can kind of gear up and prepare for Web 3. So uh, back to you, Will. So when, when did you start seeing more interest of traditional non-crypto companies 
to start working with Wallet Connect? What triggered that? And was there anything in particular from the last year into this year that changed in terms of interest of who's building with Wallet Connect? It was beginning of 2021. So like, well, back end of 2020, like, you know, bluntly there was the white heat. There was some things that were interesting. NFTs were hugely interesting to a lot of social media platforms. And the first guys that actually came to us and used our code to, to, to enable something were Twitter. And as soon as that happened, um, the floodgates opened and they've really never stopped, <laughs> if we're being honest. You know, as soon as people were trying to figure out like, oh, how are these guys connecting wallets and then enabling people to, 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 to show their PFP, we then got inflows from who you'd expect. Um, uh, and then, uh, then various businesses. And, and honestly, it just, it just hasn't stopped since then. Like we, we get any number of uh, Web2 businesses come to us with incredibly intelligent, informed teams. I would say in the middle of last year, they were probably our most informed conversations. And that's not to be like, we love the community we've come from and the rest of it. But I think there was just such white noise as, as the industry was uh, uh, struggling with the end of that bull run. Um, but we would meet these teams. And, and um, I mean, an interesting thing is we, we've spotted is that even with all of the layoffs in technology, we're not seeing these teams cut down to zero. Um, we're sometimes seeing them like uh, a little tighter, but we're, we're seeing them continue to, to engage. So yeah, it was last year. And, and, it, and to answer your question, how has it changed? I mean, we've never been busier with inbound. Like we, we, and, and that's, you know, like we're not naive that that may change one day, but, but yeah, like, like there's any number of people will come to us wanting to use us, test us in a, in a funny kind of way, the bear market gives people permission to prototype stuff that is genuinely valuable, start to ask genuinely important questions about, about, you know, like stuff we were asking, we were talking about before the break, you know, how, how do they want to work with what wallets and how do they want to you know, uh, which wallets do they want to work with? Is there a way that, that they can, you know, is, is there a way that they can think sensibly about that based on their, the business they are, the brand they are? Also, by the way, just, you know, we, we I, I dive down into regulation. There's also like operational reasons, right? Like, you know, we absolutely think there'll be a flourishing of wallets in different languages, different user experiences. If people don't believe that's the case, they've probably never spent time on WeChat. Like, I, I just sort of think that like, you know, I think a lot of people, it's very, very easy to sit in US or, or Europe and be like, hey, you know, like, sure, there'll be a winner takes all, but like, you know, open your bank app and ask someone who's got WeChat on their phone. And, 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 and it's consumers around the world have different needs. Um, and we don't see a reason why there won't be the same diversity in wallets that we've seen diversity in bank and uh, interactions because it's where you, you trust your PII, where you trust your assets. But that then comes the question, if I'm a, you know, if, if I'm in a particular country, I probably want to think sensibly about which wallets I promote from a commercial reason or for a, you know, for a logical reason before we get to any number of those sort of theoreticals that, that I was throwing out. And I would love, by the way, if anyone's listening to this, I'm always happy to talk to a, a regulator or a team that's figuring out a consortium or a way to think this through. We, we don't want to do it from scratch, but yeah, like that's 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 what we think. Like if, if if as people come into this, like in different countries, if it, this is being used all over the world, all over the world at the same time by different projects, they're going to have different needs. A, a gaming application in Korea is going to be different to a you know a remittance company in Ghana or or London. 
how are enterprises thinking about the type of customer that they're targeting with the products that they're building here? Because it seems like today it's very much like I would say crypto native customer base. You know, if you show Wallet Connect, you know, you click on it, it's MetaMask, you know, it's Trust Wallet, and you're kind of assuming, you know, customers already have it. But what if they don't? You know, when you have a large enterprise brand and there is no wallet uh, that the consumer already has, are they, are you seeing them send customers to say, oh, go download MetaMask or go download something? Like, how does that wallet landscape evolve when you have mainstream consumers showing up to a PFP feature and they haven't set up a wallet in the first place? Uh, and what does that opportunity look like? <laughs> That's, uh, thanks for the difficult question, Kai. Um, the, uh, the, the answer is because we kind of like, we always have to navigate this stuff. And it always sounds like I'm being a little political, but like we always have to remain agnostic and pragmatic about where the industry is going. But look, like we are not going to, this crypto industry is not going to succeed unless we bring on the no coiners, right? Like, like it's just not like the, the no coiners should not be an insult. It should be a, it should be which of those no coiners are early majority and which of them are, you know, um, laggards or whatever the bell curve is. Right. And, you know, there are a series of technologies um, like MPC that we've seen, uh, touted like I like I think that they are hugely interesting on how that will how that will play out um, but but fundamentally you you name the right problem like the right problem is like how do we get everyone onto this right and that's what made the you know the um, Starbucks uh, interaction with Polygon so interesting is because you know Starbucks is famous for bringing I mean, Starbucks is arguably the reason the neobank industry existed because they did such an amazing job with their rewards program that it actually built a lot of the prepaid infrastructure, right? You know, up to a point. And so the same thing is interesting now is like, how are we going to bring these people on? And, and I think it sometimes comes down to a raw technology question, but some of it is actually also about what are the consumers going to accept? Like if you, you will spend, like all of us, we're going to send 20 emails today or more, and we still write them like letters, you know? we may have changed dear to hey or hi, and we still say best or best regards and your name, but we've accepted the at symbol and stuff. So we accept certain elements of it that still look like a letter, but certain bits of it we just accepted. So I think almost everyone has agreed in the industry that the, the seed phrase concept is uh, clunky and difficult to, to, to see scaling to the next billion and the billion after that. Um, but, but what the... What the winner will look like in that space, I don't, I'm not going to predict, but we know that there will be a winner. If that makes a sense, you know, like there is going to be a way that you have to bring, you know, people who don't have wallets into this space and they need to feel safe and comfortable with that concept. And if we don't, like we're just, we're just going to become a, you know, fringe hobbyist industry for the rest of our existence. And I don't think that that is valuable to anyone. It sounds like you have been listening to Blockchain Insider because we've been <laughs> talking about this and we're not all going to be the gens. Um, and and it's, it's a much bigger industry if we can invite the non-degen population to take part in this. And, and that kind of is an interesting segue to, to the next question is... What are the personas that Wallet Connect is solving for? And, and what are the pain points that are mo most prominently being solved when, when thinking about those personas? I'm thinking, obviously, a user of a wallet, but there's also a developer population that uses Wallet Connect to build upon. So is there any other persona that we can think of? And, and what are the key 
pain points Wallet Connect solving for them? Yeah, so we're always like, you know, we are a B2B to C organization, right? Like, so we we have a we have a, a user base that is the software engineers who are hacking away on some brand new project. And we want to make sure that like, and we really, uh, you know, we, we make sure that we have a presence right in the hacking community and we, we support them. But, you know, equally, if this is going to work within a web two business, you, you actually got some personas who aren't just the, you need the software engineer and the product team to advocate this. And then you need to make sure that you're, you know, de-risking this for the, the, the business champion. Right. So, so if we look at that very tight space, like, if you've got someone who's Fortune 500 at one end and a brand new hacker at the other, like I'm not going to pretend that that putting out comms, docs, and supporting them is an easy task. But it's a, you know, we we are incredibly lucky to have to 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 span that so early in our business. I think in terms of who the end user, who who our users users are, I think they're who you'd expect right now. But who are they going to be, right? I think that there's no question the team jumping up and down. I'm, I'm not a gamer. A lot of the team are. A lot of people have a very firm view that gaming is going to lead to a lot of innovation this year. So if Wallet Connect fails to meet the needs of that industry, then we've got, we've got a challenge, right? And, and, and actually some of, the, some of the needs of that industry may be much more down at like the messaging layer, like actual text messaging layer, like push and, and chat. Like, and how can we enable others to build with that direct or someone else to build an interaction on top of it that is like we care about message volume so if someone else can build an abstraction there that's more effective to, to distribute that and so be it but on the other end of the scale my very firm view is i can't help but look at the map and see what's going on in the, the global south and be deeply fascinated um by that concept you know like i think if you're if you're building the, the concept of leapfrogging is sort of slump, sometimes slightly overdone, but like if, 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 you know, especially if you're in sub-Saharan Africa or Latin America, you know, like they're, 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 there are certain economies where there are hugely young populations who are potentially like lightly banked or never been banked, but actually have cell phones. That strikes me as a, um, an area that we as an industry need that, that is, and, and the statistics are extraordinary. Like in some countries, like one third of people have touched a stable coin, which is kind of mind blowing to me. Um, and if we, if we ignore that, that reality and just focus on what's going on in America or Europe, then we're going to miss where uh, the main message volume and the interesting innovation is happening. So we kind of go, where we see it coming. And I, and I think that those are almost two groups like gamers and people using it um, for sort of small stable coin transactions feel like two groups that have um, very strong needs to solve this and maybe are not having them solved very effectively by the incumbent. One other mainstream use case that I'm really interested in here uh, is personalization, like greater personalization, particularly of, of e-commerce experiences. Mm. And so, you know, I thought about this in a way like, you know, cookies on the internet in your browser, while not that well known to most consumers, have driven a ton of value for e-commerce. Mm. You know, just being able to know that a consumer has been to your site before, uh, being able to track and do attribution, you know, for ads, being able to do some customization based upon like where they're coming from but they've kind of always been in the background and consumers don't really know like, 
you know, that they have them. And so it's kind of this kind of weird marketing technology where if you connect a wallet to a website, it's like a consumer opt-in way to say, here's information about me, use that information to create a personalized experience. And so it's it's kind of like a this new interaction model that whether you're an e-commerce business, whether you're a bank, whoever you are, you have this cold start problem where someone shows up, they land on your website, they download your app, and you know nothing about them. And it's very hard to predict what they want and drive a conversion. If we live in a world where a bunch of people have wallets and they have a bunch of assets and activity in those wallets, and you give them a reason to connect a wallet to that site, now the question is kind of what can you do with that data and that information? And can my experience on the internet look very different than your experience because you could tell my favorite teams, my favorite artists, you know, yeah, who my friends are based upon my wallet history. And so are you starting to see sophisticated approaches to ingesting data with consumer consent when a wallet is connected and then displaying programmatically different experiences? Uh, you know, are you seeing enterprises start to, to go in that, that direction? Um. I've seen a lot of wider com- a lot of wider conversation around your identity, of which this like like not treating your identity simply as like a government document, but like on how you do things online, you know. And that's essentially like rather than your identity just being here, we're, like, we all have multiple identities right now. Like like we have an identity to Google and Meta right now for for definite. Like they they that's why my ads look different to yours, right? And it's. If you could own more of that, that's hugely interesting, right? But there's also other ways that you're, you, you can own your identity. Like, and, and then I think it's about how do you permission what parts of your identity you use, right? So, you know, this is, I, I guess that's your commercial footprint identity. Um, and then, you know, I have my LinkedIn identity and I have my payment identity and I have my government document identity. And I don't necessarily want to give everyone permission to everything, but I probably want more control over what people do and don't have access to. And it feels very firmly like that is where wallets can go, you know, that they can, that, that, that you can actually own your multiple identities and choose which blend of them that you're making available to different organizations and how you are using that. Like it may be that you're using it to access a thing or it may be that you're using it to, monetize um your life you know like and i think that that feels um that feels like something you know at its most basic what did we actually see happening with nfts people were buying an nft and it was their identity for that group and that's perfectly fine like we all have like multiple identities but and and as always happens with the bear market you see echoes of what's going to happen in the future a lot of people imagining something that's five years out and then people go build it right so um I can't think of an immediate example right now that I happen to have looked at, but I have seen, you know, different interactions where people are, you know, trying to figure out um, how do you bring government level identity uh, to this space so that a Web2 business can use a wallet. You know, like you see a lot of that occurring. And I think um, how we bring our identity on chain and how we give people access to that and what you can do with that. is why this is not just a sort of, you know, this isn't just a degen story. I, I, I personally disliked a lot of the noise because I think that there's a much more interesting concept, which is like 
you know, who owns, like, who owns my PII? How is it controlled? How is it controlled? How much, like, where on the sliding scale between no questions, privacy, and maybe allowing a little bit of people to look in? Like, like what, how, where do you want to sit on that sliding scale? And I think consumers are perfectly rational and able to make that choice. So, yeah, like, I think that we saw a number of people try to do that in the last bull run. But I think that the reality is that come 24, 25, 26, we'll see that really, like, p- people will figure out what is the hook to get people to interact with this, to actually put more of their, I don't know what you say, your commercial identity online, right? I think we could just spend a whole day talking about all of these, but we do need to wrap up today's discussion. So thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, will, where can people find more about you and, and Wallet Connect? Um, well, WalletConnect.com um, about the team. Uh, please follow us on Twitter. Um, I always forget what Pedro's. You'll find Pedro's uh, message will come up. He's very interesting to follow. And I'm on uh, WillWhite003 um, on Twitter. Um, and please get in touch. Always happy to speak to people. Awesome. Kai. On Twitter at Kai Sheffield and Visa.com slash crypto. And you can find me at 0xMauricio on Twitter, Mauricio Magaldi on LinkedIn, and 11fs.com. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. We have loads in the works, and we're so excited to be talking about crypto and blockchain with all of you again. If you can't wait until the next episode, take a look at the many previous episodes and get yourself properly immersed in the world of crypto. And if you really love it, please leave us a review. It helps us to make it better and helps other people find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Blockchain Insider or email us at podcasts at 11FS.com. This is all for today. Stay rare, stay weird. LFG.